Good morning, good morning, good morning. Congratulations to everyone whose team won, and sorry for everyone whose team lost, whoever that is, especially you OK fans. If you get that, then thank you for being with me. Thank you. The one person that cares. Um, welcome. Hey, any SCAD students here? Any SCAD students? Welcome back. Welcome back to Savannah from all over the world and the United States. We're so glad you guys are here to worship with us, to be a part with us. Uh, if you're new, welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you here. This is Compassion Christian Downtown, formerly known Late Church, formerly at the Lucas Theater, formerly had a different pastor. <laughs> so it's pretty much a whole new thing. But anyways, for the last month, we've been talking about what it, what it means to be Compassion Christian Downtown. So this is a great kind of moment for us as a church and as a body of believers to kind of redefine who we are and what we want the, the community to see, what we want Savannah to see, but also what we want the world to see. We've been talking about different aspects of Compassion Christian Downtown. How do we view finances? How do we view service? How do we view community? How do we view even just how we interact and, and tell people about Jesus? And that's what we've been doing for the last month. Now, if you're joining with us, this is a great service to be a part of because we're going to culminate everything about who we are in today's service. We're going to talk about every aspect of what it means to be Compassion Christian Downtown. And I think one of the simplest and most beautiful ways to look at this, as I've said so many times before, is, is to look at how Jesus interacts with people. Because the reality is this, if we're nice, or if we've got good music, or if the pastor's very handsome, and that's all people remember, I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> it wasn't a joke. <laughs> But if, if that's all we remember about the church, then we really haven't done our job. If people say, oh, well, you know, they give us free coffee, or they're nice, or they do a lot of things in Savannah, or you know what, even they're, they're evangelistic, they do tell people about Jesus. Those are all good things, but I don't want us to get confused with the good things and, and forget the eternal things. Um, one of our, our pastors at uh, the main campus was talking to us earlier this week, and he was talking about Dallas Willard, and Dallas Willard's uh, kind of a Christian theologian in America, and his, was telling a story about when his mom died. His mom died when he was very young, and he, his mom said to his dad, right before she died, she said, keep eternity in front of our children, and that's what we're here to do. That's what this community, this body of believers is here to do. It's to keep eternity in front of each other, but also in front of the community. And that's what we are going to be defined as, as a church. You know, all those things that I've talked about are good things and they're part of our DNA. I mean, we should give regularly. We should build relationships. No one wants to be alone. We want to be nice. We hope you get free coffee. Jesus even tells us and commands us to, to go and tell others about himself, to preach the gospel. But I don't want us to miss the most important thing is that the whole point of us as a body of believers is to tell people about how our lives personally and how their life can be radically changed by Jesus Christ. We're going to be in John 4, so if you have your Bibles, your apps, your, you've memorized it, um, then please see me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about that and maybe get some tips. But we're going to look at John 4. And we're going to look at Jesus having a conversation with a woman. And now so many times when we read Scripture, we look at Scripture, we see Scripture, it's just a story. But just words on a page. Like, but like the, this is a real woman. 
This is a real Jewish man, fully God, fully man, talking to a real woman and having a conversation with her. And very few times in Scripture do we actually get to see a dialogue or a conversation Jesus has. And this one especially so beautiful and in-depth. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to read focus, focus mainly on verse 7 through 27, but I'm going to explain before and after. So Jesus just got done meeting with Nicodemus, who is this aristocratic, rich kind of Jewish guy and talking to him. And and then he goes into a similar story with this peasant Samaritan woman. Now, Jesus was traveling from Galilee, which is in the south, or flip it. He was traveling from Judea to Galilee. Judea is in the south. That's where Jerusalem is. Think of it more of like, you know, Chatham County and and Effingham County. Galilee is Effingham and Judea is Chatham County. And then you got Samaria in the middle, which is kind of like Pooler. No one wants to go. Everyone goes around Pooler. I'm kidding, okay? But that's kind of what it is. There's traffic, you know, no one wants to go. It's bad, all these things. So Jesus, being a Jewish man, traditionally would go to the west. The east is the water, the west. They would go to Jericho, and they would go up through the Gentile area, which is called the Decapolis, and then over to Galilee. They would skip through Samaria altogether because they didn't like each other. They had differences of theology, differences of just the way that they worship God, but they come from similar roots. So Jewish tradition was you just go around it. And we see right in the beginning, right in the first couple verses, Jesus says, I have to go. Jesus had to go to Samaria. He didn't have to go. So many times we read this and we know the ending. And when we read scripture knowing the ending, we forget the journey. We forget the process that happens. We forget what's going on. So Jesus is traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, and he had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment. He had an appointment with a woman at the well. And this, is, this brings up a point that I think is good for us just to remind ourselves of, that so many times we tell people to come to church, come to our community, come be a part of our community, come here, come see all these things, where Jesus' example and the way that he lives his life is go and be. Jesus went to Samaria, entered into their culture, their world, their reality. He didn't tell, and never really does he tell us to come into his reality. Jesus meets us physically, spiritually, and emotionally where we're at. So wherever you are in this room, wherever you're thinking, whatever background you have, believer or non-believer, Jesus meets you in this moment where you are. He never demands of you to become something that you're not. He meets you where you are and he makes you and creates you and molds you into who you should be. So just think of that, even in our cultural climate and our context, a lot of times we always come and say, come and see, come and be. But what you bring people to, what you win people with is what you bring them to. So we need to focus on Jesus, not a building, not a service, not a plan, not a program. We'll get back to the story. So Jesus, pick up in verse 7 where the conversation begins. Now, before we do that, the last verse of 6 says it's the sixth hour, which is 12 o'clock. Just keep that in your minds. It's 12 o'clock. It's noon. It's hot. It's in the Middle East. It's hot. Just remember that. So verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water at noon. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Kind of demanding. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? As I explained, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. You see, we know the end of the story. She doesn't. She doesn't know and can't even fathom the reality that God is standing in front of her. She doesn't know that most of the time when people touch lepers, they become unclean or defiled. But when Jesus touches a leper, he actually restores them and makes them clean. She doesn't know what the conversation is about to have that unfolds. You see, Jesus speaks to an untrained peasant Samaritan woman, and she, he speaks directly to her, and he speaks directly to her heart, just as he did to the aristocratic Jew the chapter before. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, if you have nothing to draw water with and this well is deep, where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock. Now, living water, what Jesus is talking about, is not what she's hearing. So many times when somebody communicates something that, that Christ has communicated, we hear what we want to hear. Living water to her means that there's a stream, an underground stream that fills the well and that Jacob dug this well and she's confused. She's actually a little sarcastic with Jesus. She's questioning him. She's looking at him. She's, she's trying to understand. She says, where you can get this water? You have no bucket. You can almost hear idiot at the end of it. You got no bucket, idiot. How are you going to get this water? What are you, how do you get this water that you're talking about? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you some charlatan or magician? Are you, are you going to do this? See, so many times when we read scripture, we don't look at the tone. We see it as a story. We see it as just some myth. But this is a real woman with a real conversation with the king of kings. And she's making fun of him. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again, continuing, trying to lead her to the place that she needs to be. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman, still questioning, sir, give me this water so that I not be thirsty and I never have to come and get water again. Still, looking at it naturalistically, looking at it as just a matter-of-fact speech, we know what Jesus is talking about. And if you don't know, you're probably in the same boat as she is. This is a bunch of made-up hoopla. She's looking at Jesus and saying, man, give me that living water. Then I don't have to come get my bucket anymore. I don't have to do the work of pulling water out of a well. It's going to save me a ton of time. I mean, think about it. If you never had to drink water again, you're never thirsty. You have a lot of extra time for lots of reasons. Isn't that crazy? And she's looking at Jesus and she's saying this, man, man, I need this. Give me this. And we find out why in the next verse. Because even though maybe skepticism or even hope that she doesn't have to draw water again, is building. 
we find out the real issue. And Jesus looks at her and he says what he said to so many of us. He says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. I don't know what the question is for you. For her, it was go call your husband. Maybe it's, hey, can I see what you, can I see your history in your browser? Let me see your finances. Hey, can I talk to your wife or your husband? Can I see, let me see your business books. Whatever that question is for you, this is the question that Jesus asks. He's trying to lead her to a place and she's not getting it. She doesn't understand that the thirst has nothing to do with her body, but has everything to do with her heart. Jesus isn't trying to fulfill a, a, a physical need. The real thirst is in her heart. Now, a lot of people, when they read this scripture and they look in the Bible and they see this, they, they automatically jump to the conclusion that she's kind of easy, that she's sleeping around a lot and maybe she's a prostitute, whatever. That's not the case. She had five husbands. It says she had five husbands. We read the next, the next part. The woman said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. She's being truthful. For you have five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, we don't know the full story for this woman. Either she had a husband, and he died, had another husband, and she died. Another, another, like kind of like a black widow. And now this guy that's with her now doesn't want to get married because he feels like he's next on the list. I mean, or she had a husband, divorce, husband, divorce, husband, divorce, husband, divorce, husband, divorce. Or it's a culmination of both. Either or. Both or all scenarios are devastating. I can't imagine losing one person but five, either because they rejected me or my own sin and I messed it up or they, they died. Well, whatever it is, it tears a soul apart. And not just one time, five times this woman's soul has been ripped apart. So before I cast judgment on the Samaritan woman and I see that she's with another man who's not her husband, I want to take a step back and kind of look at the full story. So many times, even in my life, we look and we judge people from what we see now, but we don't see their full story. I'm not saying that she's right. But there's more to the story in her heart. Before I begin to look down at her and judge her heart, I need to look at my heart and see where's my story. And so many times we look at this, but the reality is this, the woman is broken and devastated and Jesus takes and he pushes that one button the one that he's been trying to get to the whole time and leading her into and she's not getting it, he presses it. And he says, go call your husband. The one question that she doesn't want to be asked, the one thing that she doesn't want to talk about, the one thing that's hiding in the darkness that we all have that we don't want people to know. And she does what every single one of you have done and the same thing that I do on a daily basis. Sir, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. They say we're supposed to worship over here, but you say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Hey, how's your marriage? Well, did you see that Hail Mary play from the, we redirect. 
we misdirect or we, we change the conversation or, oh, it's good, thank you, oh, um, let me talk about something else. And she does the exact same thing. She, recognizing that Jesus has hit the most sensitive spot in her heart, she, missed, she uses misdirection and she changes the whole conversation. But you know what I love about Jesus Christ? He does it for me, he does it for you, and he's done it for the Samaritan woman. No matter how dumb the question is and how pointless it is, because it doesn't matter where you worship, because right now your heart and your soul is destroyed. Who cares where you worship? What about your five husbands? What about this next guy that you're with now? That's the real issue. You're asking me about where to worship? Do you even go to worship? What is going on? Jesus said none of these things. He turns and he looks at her, I'm assuming, with devastation in her heart and her mind, and he says, well, let me tell you. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God in spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, at this point, I imagine, and I'm projecting on Scripture, which is a dangerous thing to do, but I'm going to do it for this point. I imagine with tears in her eyes, with that skepticism diminishing and the hope rising, she asks this question or she makes a statement. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. When Jesus is coming, I know there's a guy called Jesus. There's someone that's going to heal my soul. There's someone that's going to save me. There's someone that's going to restore me. When he comes, he's going to make everything okay. Weeping, crying, pleading, hoping that Jesus responds with what he does next and says, Jesus said to her, I am the one that you're speaking about, the one who is speaking to you now, and is he. And I just imagine her devastated but hopeful, falling, breaking down, and realizing that this is the Christ. Because what we see in the very next verse is just then the disciples came back. And you've ever seen those conversations where somebody's kind of talking over here and you know, like the, you know, you don't want to walk over there, she walk over there. That's what's happening right now. And the disciples don't ask. They don't ask what's going on. They don't ask why is he talking to a Samaritan woman. They just kind of walk by because they see that this is a moment. So the woman left her water jug and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This woman's life was radically changed by Jesus, not because he just knew her. Not because he just knew what was going on. Not because he knew of facts and information about her, but because he knew her soul. He knew the deepest part, the darkest part, and he brought it to light. Why did he bring it to light? Because he loved her. Why does sin need to be revealed in our hearts and our minds? It's because where sin flourishes, death lingers. Jesus brings to light all things to bring healing. This woman is now walking around her home village, which everyone knew. Because in Jewish culture, after three marriages, you're considered kind of taboo. They wouldn't even recognize after three marriages for whatever reason, death, divorce, whatever. So everyone knew this woman because of her story. 
That's why she went to the well at 12 o'clock. She went to the well at 12 o'clock because she didn't want to see anybody. She didn't want to talk to anybody. But now this woman who is ashamed and embarrassed is telling the whole town about Jesus. You know what's the craziest part about that? The woman that no one would respect or know or care about is now telling everyone about Jesus and they listen. It continues on and says hundreds and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ because of this woman's testimony, because she had a radical experience with Jesus. You see, that's what needs to happen here. That's what Compassion Christian Downtown is about. The question that I should have posed earlier, but I'm going to pose now, is what is this going to look like in 10 years? So many times we think about, well, we've got to get through Christmas. We've got to get through Thanksgiving. Oh, I've got to make sure we do Christmas carols for Christmas. Oh, we've got to, college is starting, college age is starting tomorrow. Make sure that's good, all this. But what about 10 years from now? How's our soul? Are people going to remember Compassion Christian downtown as a place that people were radically transformed by Jesus and the testimonies of the women in the well, the men at the well in this room will go forth and radically change colleges and businesses in our culture? Because that's the task that I've been tasked with. And that's what I believe Jesus is calling our church to be. You see, compassion serves. Jesus teaches us that we need to love and serve, but we need to love and serve not to gain Jesus or to gain favor or to gain anything. But we love and we serve because Jesus loves and serves. When we glorify ourselves, or we, we, what we win people with is what we win them to. If it's music, then they're one to music. If it's relationship, they're one to relationship. If it's me, then they're one to me. How do we win people to Jesus? We glorify him rather than ourselves. That's what serving looks like. Compassion builds community. We see Jesus with this woman. Both of them culturally come as demanders. It's pretty significant for our culture as well. A lot of different cultures come as demanders, even in the South, even in Savannah, Cultures come together with demands that they have, not even placed personally. Maybe you have no demands, but our cultures come with demands, and we can't even have conversations, political conversations, just spiritual conversations, whatever, whatever the conversation, racial conversations, ethnic conversations, we can't have them because of the demands that are put on by culture. We, and then our own demands. We demand things from others and others demand things from us. But Jesus helps break down those demands and builds true community. Where pride separates us and keeps us separated, Jesus destroys that and humbles us. Because when we understand that our identity is not in who we are as Americans, as Caucasians, as African Americans, whatever. But our identity is in Jesus, then we're all citizens of the same place. And the demands that we put on each other are not the demands of anyone because Jesus doesn't even put demands on us. We as Christians, as believers, as people put more demands on ourselves and others than Jesus puts on us. Becoming a believer in Christ is the simplest decision you'll ever make, but it's not the easiest one. 
because of just the nature of who we are as fallen beings, as broken people. Compassion is generous. I've talked about this before, but it's not about money. It's not about giving up your time, your money, your resources. It's about giving up your heart. Did you notice that Jesus never confronts her issue? He brings it to light, but he never does it. He never explicitly condemns the woman for her actions. He just took the deepest, darkest part of her heart and brought it to light. He brought it to light to heal it. You see, it's a heart issue. It's not a resource issue. It's not anything like that. It's a heart issue. That's why I love the story of the woman in the well, because we get to see every single aspect of how it, we should be when we engage people that are different than us or how we engage culture or different cultures with the truth of who Jesus is, and we see that. Compassion is evangelistic. When people who are dead become alive, they tell other people about how they can become alive in Christ too. The woman at the well had everything to hide. She had more excuses than anyone in this room of why not to share Jesus or to tell people about Jesus. She'd be rejected. She's already been rejected five times by her husbands or they died. She was already an outcast. She was already in a relationship that she shouldn't have been into. She's already a hypocrite. Whatever the story is that guards your heart or you protect your heart from not telling people about Jesus, kind of all for naught, because it doesn't matter what people think about you, it doesn't even matter what you think about yourself, it only matters what Jesus Christ thinks about you, and he calls you beautiful, and he calls you restored and redeemed. If you're a believer in Christ, you're free. That's what Christianity is, freedom. Freedom from the design and image that we think we have, or we think we're supposed to be, I was helping out at, at SCAD with a bunch of staff people this past week, and I saw this flyer, and it was, it, was really, it was really poignant. It says, you are more than what you produce. There's a bunch of highly educated, highly talented professional artists and designers and all these things. And the thing said, it says, you are more than what you produce. So many times we put our identity in what we do or who we are intellectually, all these different things, and we forget who Jesus is, and it becomes a barrier for us telling people about Jesus because it could destroy our own image of ourselves. And finally, and most importantly, and what this is all centered around is compassion is Jesus, Jesus is compassion. None of this matters. <laughs> the conversation at the well doesn't matter if Jesus isn't involved because we're not here to change or fix behaviors. We're not here to solve problems. We're not here to change your mind or your, how you think about how you engage this world. We're here to tell you about Jesus. And this is what it means. This is, this is the gospel, the Christianity in a nutshell. This is everything you need to know about what it means to be a believer in Christ. And this is what grows. That Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And we'll talk about all the nuances and paradoxes of that in the next couple weeks. But Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, perfect in every way. I mean, even in the story, you can see how he engages people. Came to earth to trade our husband question. To trade the question that is looming in the dark 
The question that you want no one to ask. Not to mention all the other stuff, all the idiosyncrasies and all the faults and all the things that all of us have that people see of us. People can see certain things about you, maybe your organization, maybe you're a little brash, maybe you're a little rude, whatever. They can see that outside. I'm talking about the things that you don't want anyone to see, that you don't even want to look at yourself. You want to talk about that other living water so I don't have to drink anymore, rather than looking at the darkness. That thing, that's what Jesus took on the cross, and he took all of it. Every person in this room, including me, he took all of it on the cross and he traded it. You are now righteous. You are perfect. God looks at you and he sees you perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things wrong, all these different things. But now our job as a community, what does it look like next 10 years? Is that as we as a community grow in Christ, we learn how to pray. We learn how to read. We learn how to be generous. We learn how to serve. We learn what community is. We learn how to preach the gospel all under the banner of Jesus Christ and under his authority and under his freedom. When we flip it and we try to do it the opposite way, we feel defeated, we feel legalistic, we feel we just struggle. So if you're new or if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you into freedom, into understanding Jesus, just like the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well. Hopefully this service was an opportunity for you to understand who Jesus is. And as a community, we can grow in that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are and what you're doing. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this building, the resources that you've given us to just gather together and talk about Jesus. Lord, I just pray that whatever you use, whatever you speak to each and every individual person. Lord, I pray that we listen, that we don't dismiss it yet another time. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.